Kat Dwyer, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing so good. <laughs> I'm happy. A little bit giggly, I think. The trend seems to be that we haven't seen each other in a while. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of Fast and Furious caught up, but not really. Yeah, it's been like three weeks, I think. I, good, good Lord. Crazy. Yeah. 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 Oops. I know. We'll get into a more regular recording schedule. Yes. Come I, I think, fall, I think. Yeah, the rest of this month is pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then fall's going to hit in, and then uh, we'll get back into the grindstone, I think. Yeah, totally. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned some cool opportunities mm-hmm. and life in theory will slow down yeah in theory the big project i'm on right now september 16th is our goal for completion oh right on good so that'll like free up some stuff nice cool good what you've been what you've been doing uh went home to california and mm-hmm. saw family which was nice uh and one day we went to the beach with my nieces mm. and that was uh lovely the trip itself we went i went home because my grandmother passed but so the whole trip was not totally uh like a vacation but mm-hmm. it was nice to get the time with my nieces and we had a beautiful beach day at seacliff in aptos and it was crystal clear and about 80 degrees and i just swam in the ocean with my nieces and it was really nice it sounds amazing. It was great. Yeah. They like got me out beyond the wave break. No way. Yeah. Nice. And I'm like. Do you not usually swim? I'm or? not a strong swimmer. Yeah. I've like kind of learned more. Like I can like I won't totally drown, but like I'm not really a swimmer. And so anyway, <laughs> it was fun. It, it was nice to be. They were like, come on, Aunt Kath. So I That's fun. went out beyond the wave right. break. You can't, you can't show fear. Yeah, no, right. you gotta be you gotta like, be the big brave auntie. Right? Yeah, exactly. So. Well, to be fair, past the break, it gets easier to swim. So right, exactly, <laughs> it does. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you guys are right. <laughs> You're like, oh, this, this isn't is so bad. <laughs> the wave, the waves aren't actually trying to kill me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's been good, but I'm glad to be back at it. Good. Yes. And how are things at Perk going? Things at Perk are fine. They're good. We're releasing a. A lot of research just released a piece on groundwater markets in California um, and how basically like trading water can help conserve it and direct water to its highest valued use. We've got some other exciting projects that we're going to be releasing over the next couple of months. So it's going to be talk about Fast and Furious like from now until December is going to be right wild. Well, but, hot dang. I look forward to seeing some of this stuff being released. Yeah. Good stuff Sounds to come. Awesome. Yeah. What are we drinking tonight? Well, I just dove right in, took a sip. We have a Big Sky Brewing Summer Honey Ale. First thoughts? How do you feel about it? It's good. Yeah, it's light. Light, refreshing. I guess there is kind of like a sweet, malty honey yeah. flavor. I Actually, uh, yeah, I really like that Yeah. finish nice. on it. But uh, this is what Big Sky Brewing has to say about their beer. Here's the scoop about Summer Honey. It's a full-flavored, refreshing summer seasonal. This well-balanced brew has a unique blend of spices which complement the European hops. The honey lightens up the body and helps to blend taste with aroma without making the beer too sweet. It's definitely not too sweet. No, which is good. Yeah, totally. A little bit of honey. It kind of reminds me of, um, I can't forget what it, I can't remember, I can't forget. I can't remember what it is. It's the uh, English pub beer. 
It's like got the O2 in it, and it's just like a honey hmm, I don't know. English ale. Warm Sup- brown beer. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Super good. Probably not that. <laughs> yeah, they don't have refrigeration in England. <laughs> yeah, that's why they lost the war. <laughs> James May on Top Gear likes warm brown beer, so... Uh, it's disgusting, but it's uh, disgusting. I also like him. So, right, you know, maybe there's something to it. Right, he has his own gin. I've like had this saved. I've had like a tab about his gin <laughs> open on my phone forever. Actually, I lost my phone. Oh, that was something that happened. That's oh. an update. I went on the Yellowstone, and uh, it's a more treacherous river post flooding. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, would have been fine if in I was a, in the right vessel. In a, were you in a boat? I was in my kayak. Okay. Which I have taken on the Yellowstone before. Yep. But a year ago. Yeah. And uh, it is no longer suitable for that mm. river. Okay. I, got, I hit some rapids twice. I went into a downed giant cottonwood at one point and got like it was creating a sinkhole. I like went straight into it. And got ripped out of my kayak. Oh, and Lord. I was like trying to hold on to the kayak and like not get pulled under. And eventually I was like, I should let go of the kayak. And I did. And it just like a rocket took off down the river. And I just like made my way to the bank. And yeah. then our buddy Adam was coming around because there's all these new little channels and stuff created, right? And there's like new little islands and sandbars and whatever. So he came around to the right of this sort of large substantial sandbar that I was on the left of and saw me and like pulled over and my kayak was just fucking gone. Oh, good Lord. And uh, long story, we were on the river for like seven hours. But oh, no. anyways, we wound up, <laughs> we wound up uh, finding the kayak. Okay, this is good. Right. And it's like, this is like an hour or so later, like it's in some random fucking channel and this old like, Livingston local stoner dude in his like 50s had recovered it and he's like in a drift boat <laughs> and he was like oh you know like this river isn't the same I don't recognize it like don't feel bad and I was like thanks <laughs> but like what do I do with this fucking kayak because at that point I was like I had already gone under twice and like yeah. the first time I like swallowed water and like I had just explained I'm not a strong swimmer so right. like I was a little rattled by that I'm gonna pull and- a dad move were you wearing a life vest? No, I was not. Okay. I've learned I learned a lot that day. I was like getting slapped with life lessons right and left, but I'm a hypocrite though because we floated the river for the 4th of July and like only the kids had life vests. The Yellowstone? No, it was the Clark Fork. Oh, okay. It yeah, was yeah, yeah. it was ripping and we had some yeah. scary encounters. A kiddo got almost trapped under some logs. Oh jeez. Well, dad, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's Yes. So I'm like, are you wearing your life vest? No. Guess I'm, who wasn't? Me either. I'm always going to wear one now, though, like straight <laughs> up. I was rattled. And anyway, we recovered the kayak. Steve wound up manning that vessel the rest of the way. And I think he didn't realize like quite how much mm-hmm. like I was struggling in that boat. Like, I think he thought it was me. And then and then he had just as much trouble as I did because it's just too low profile. It, it's oh, not made for rapids. Right. It, it's like a kayak like made a for like a fucking lake. Yeah. yeah. Or like still water. So any riffle, it just like took on water immediately and oh. sunk and flipped you. Like oh. it was just, it was a nightmare. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I, so then I'm in my buddy's pack raft, which is totally great, but they're like $1,500. I want a pack raft sick. so bad. I totally like... <laughs> Highly recommend one day if you can afford it. They save self bail. It's just magical. They pack down to literally a backpack. Yeah. 
and you can like put store all your gear in it and then you inflate it and there's a zipper and Uh you can just like access everything you need it's amazing but it's his is made for one person so it was me and we it was funny beforehand i don't know if i can say this maybe you can censor it but we were joking about how like well, we can't do acid together until we like know each other better. And then we were like, okay, oh. we're, we're about to get to know each other really well. Cause I was just like in his lap with the dog in my lap. There are all these crazy whirlpools. And we're oh, like, so you had three people in yes. well, three people. You had three creatures beings. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the dog almost fell out at one point. I had to like yank it by its collar back in. Like we kept hitting these whirlpools and getting like spun around. We were a trip getting like trapped in them. And then, then you'd be like, they were always right before the rapids. So then you'd get like, you'd not hit the rapids head on, right? And you'd hit them sideways, which was like a nightmare. Like the whole fucking thing. We were so <laughs> exhausted by the time. And I had lost my, my dry bag had gotten ripped, which was another mistake I made. I didn't have it tied into my boat. So like oh. it got ripped out. I had accepted as soon as I had accepted that like I had lost my phone and the keys to my truck. And I was leaving in California two days later. Oh. So I was like, kind of street freaking out about it but i was like you know what no one died my car isn't totaled like it could be yes. worse as soon as i had that thought and let it go i look to my right and i see my dry bag oh my floating god in the reeds on the side of the bank no way and so steve's like behind us and i yell to steve to go get it he gets it his nalgene which also wasn't even attached to my dry bag yeah. floated with it so we recovered both of those things oh my god it was amazing and that was like an hour after we saw the kayak yeah Anyway, we finally get to the end of it. Steve's probably like 30, 20, 30 minutes behind us. And the poor guy, I see him coming. I see him coming around the bend. He pulled out at Carter's Bridge and I see him coming around the bend. And as he gets closer, I realize he's using his arms and he had lost his pa- oh, the no. paddle at the last oh, rapid. No. <laughs> we were just like these cold. And, and, and when I went down, I lost. He lost. I lost his shoes, and so he was like, "No shoes, no shirt." We were just like these pathetic, like it's literally like that wet, without a paddle. Cold. Yeah. Yes, literally up creek without a paddle. <laughs> it was just seven hours of an hell adventure. <laughs> We were bonded, all of us, though. That's we right. were like, Adam, <laughs> we've got a story together now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a thing. So, Anyway. <laughs> well, that sounds just like a blast. Yeah. Last weekend, we were up in Yellowstone backpacking, <laughs> which was great. Nice. Went down Agate Creek, saw a ton of buffalo. Um, we had a bear in our camp. Ooh. So we saw a little black bear. Nice. Okay. It was fun. We were sitting there cooking and came up, came Checked out. We had three tents. Checked out each tent. Walked up the hill. was like flipping rocks, eating moths, and then kind of meandered over the hill. And then in the middle of the night, I heard the bear in, in like the cook area, like away from our tents, just kind of like exploring. So we figured he'd come back. We just weren't sure if it was going to be a smart bear and try to like cut the rope and actually get the food down. But right. he, he, I think he tipped over like a jet boil, like just the burner and the fuel. Mm. And it made like this clinking sound, and then I just heard like, like it scared him, and he ran off, and oh, we, didn't, we didn't see him again. So yeah, wasn't a. What did you do in that situation? You just kind of watched him and let him do his thing. Um, I got my phone out, and and I took a video of him. Okay, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and he was like, you know, yeah, know, fifteen yards away or something, like pretty close. Yeah, but he didn't even acknowledge us. We were talking to him, and he was just flipping rocks, and all right, yeah, just a little guy. Nice, and so. Cool. We had bear spray, so yeah. It's like, and tomorrow you're doing a big old 
Yeah, mission. yeah, we're gonna go attempt granite down in the Beartooth. So Which gonna, you said is twelve thousand nine hundred something. Like twelve nine oh seven, I think, or okay. twelve nine oh three. That's a big one. It is tallest one in Montana, and so we're gonna leave here super early, like th- probably four o'clock. Actually, we'll probably leave here at four. Mm-hmm. Try to get to the trailhead around seven, and then make our way up the mountain and the plateau. We'll spend the night at like twelve thousand feet. Uh, it's called Froze to Death Plateau. I've seen that on the map. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we don't freeze to death. Yep, should be nice and chilly, and then we'll get up early and go summit. And the plan is to come back at lunch. We'll be done, cook a big old lunch, yeah, eat like a backpacker's mm-hmm. meal, and then we'll we'll mosey on back to the car and drive back to Bozeman. So definitely going to be like a long two days, but it's going to be so exciting. I've never done granite. And I've lived here my whole life. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And we've got a great guide, my roommate, who has probably done granite like 20 times. So Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. The man knows what's up. So That's perfect. Couldn't but, have a better leader. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so that'll be great. But Right on. Yeah. You'll have to report back. I will for sure. Yeah. And then another backpacking trip planned next week. So nice. We're just boom, boom, boom. Living the knocking dream. Knocking them all out. I realize I haven't done jack for two years. <laughs> Literally, haven't camped or backpacked in two years, so like catching up. I'm catching up. Great. I'm, I'm <laughs> grateful. Stuff. So yeah, that's that's the bookkeeping on my side. Yeah. So we are here this evening for news and brews. That's right. Keeping it casual. Beer in hand. Yep. What are you scheming? What do you got for us tonight? I've got some thoughts on our arming of Ukraine and what happens to those. Uh, arms and Ooh. munition i'm all for it yeah what did what do you have to bring uh just gonna talk about some droughts in china okay <laughs> cool yeah so <laughs> right on keeping it positive <laughs> you know what's funny guys we specifically during the ukraine series was like don't worry we're gonna keep news and brews chipper it's not easy i don't th- i think we had one nice story where like the person didn't die in the plane <laughs> yeah. in the plane crash that's right and then everything else has been just depressing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's, you yeah. know, there's a lot of important stuff to talk about. There is. I think us at least sharing stories that are underreported yes. is more valuable than keeping it chipper. What, what's so interesting is like four or five days ago, I started trying to find sources on this China drought information because someone I follow reported on it. And then today, like, CNN, Reuters, Reuters um, AP all released stories on the drought. Mm, so I was, like, I was like, week ahead, but now I'm right on par. So a lot of the link stories are from today of recording. Okay, but cool. it's old news, CNN. And what when are it's we should start marking when when we are recording. So it's August nineteenth. August nineteenth, correct. Friday, August nineteenth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which one do we want to start with? Oh, why don't we start with weapons? Okay. I'm a big fan. Down. <laughs> Down <clears throat> for it. I love weapons. Weapons are useful. Yeah. Um, All the fun ones that civilians can't get, but, right. <laughs> you know, terrorist organizations and enemies of the state can have for free. And the IRS. Yeah, and the IRS, <laughs> which, well, we we got to poke some fun at the IRS here in a bit. Actually, let's poke fun of the IRS right now. Sure, and go then for we'll it. Go into it. Send it. <laughs> I uh, last night, not a dream because I wasn't asleep, but like I just 
was thinking about like all of the memes about the IRS and their ad about using deadly force and yeah, and the warnings that are getting warnings, slapped on yes, social media yes. posts about it. <laughs> Jesus, I've seen pictures of the training. There's this hilarious photo of like firearm training for IRS, which, as far as I can tell, currently is a legitimate picture from a training session it is there the whole thing was fact checked by ap and it's like it's real but it's out of context yeah okay out of context there are what is the context there are a bunch of (laughs) how do i approach this uh delicately there are a bunch of women that look like they like to shop yes and (laughs) and and quite a few very unfit people oh right in a room (laughs) <laughs> handling firearms <laughs> one woman has like a grip on on the gun she's got both hands on the pistol but like both hands below the trigger guard so it's like sitting really high in her hand where you would never be able to fire it and if you did it would come flying out of your hand yeah then you have another guy who's like or a lady that's really awkwardly awkwardly holding her firearm and then in the background there's literally a random dude pointing a gun at like another girl yeah he's like not paying attention not paying attention just like flagging like just straight up like right at like this girl's head and you're just like (laughs) "Uh uh-huh yeah it's really bad like this is the cream of the crop i guess that's why they need training but also like i don't want those people pulling a gun on me for like filing my taxes wrong yeah with numbers that they gave you Right. <laughs> it's just like, good lord. Okay, so it's just, there's no way that there's eighty seven thousand qualified people for that job. <laughs> well, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And like, obviously, stats not on- all eighty seven thousand are going to be enforcement officers. No, but from what I saw, they're <laughs> not vetting particularly well, and so I just had this great yeah imagery in my mind of. Kind of like the story of 300 and the Persians, where you have 87,000 IRS agents against like 300. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that true? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I don't think it would end well for the IRS. Oh, no, not at all. We are going to get flagged so hard for saying that. <laughs> oh, whatever. I don't care. We already, yeah, what was it? We were joking listeners recently about how torn is likely on a uh, fbi list and a taliban list oh for sure i'm on both they're like man this guy hates the taliban we better put him on a list yeah and then the- <laughs> just for the things you've been searching for the, the podcast FBI, the fbi is like oh he bought a we can't figure him out don't trust the government sticker right and like google's yeah google's things about weapons and you're like okay all right you got uh, me good lord wild place wild world world we're living in there's no bad pr i'll take it yeah i guess that's right we're trying to grow the pod that's right yeah fine um all right well so let's get into this so what uh sparked my interest in well we've been talking about ukraine right and Mm -hmm. we've been talking about corruption in ukraine we've been talking about u.s involvement in ukraine so it's kind of a logical place for us to to go but in particular the week that I was gone, there was a news story released by CBS about, well, they're producing a documentary about Ukraine and about this current conflict with Russia in particular and our involvement. And they 
tweeted out a statistic that was featured in the documentary. It has since been pulled, saying that uh, only 30% of the military aid that the U.S. has sent Ukraine has actually made it to the front lines. Mm. And, of course, as soon as that was tweeted, there was a huge amount of backlash and... Missing context. <laughs> basically, and being, and yeah. And so we'll get into it. So <clears throat> to kind of add context to the conversation, the U.S. to date has spent roughly $5 billion on arms and munitions, sending it to Ukraine, and over $55 billion in total aid since Russia invaded in February. Mm-hmm. Only since Russia invaded in, Fe- in February. We've been supplying and training and arming the Ukrainian military for a decade plus. Well, like really long time yeah in some capacity but in significant (laughs) numbers since 2014 and a lot in the last Mm -hmm. uh year what this looks like basically trucks loaded with pallets of weapons provided by the defense department are dropped off at the polish ukrainian border (sighs) and it's handed over to ukrainian officials and then we have no control there's no paper trail and that's that's that the ukrainian officials determine which units get what and how it's transferred and all of the details are handled then. Have you seen that meme of, I think it's, it's like, so I don't even know who it is, but it's some random dude in a suit. And he's like, dear Lord, I see what you're doing for other people. Like, I want this or something like that. And I, I hear things like that. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. That well, yeah. Like, I would love a pallet to drop off. At Wouldn't my that house. be nice? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could you drop it off? All here? I want <laughs> is a machine gun. Do what? A <laughs> what are you gonna do with the machine gun? Forty millimeter grenade launcher. Oh my god! And night vision. Go to Afghanistan and see if you can score one. <laughs> There's some top of the line. I bet it's not there. that expensive to go there. No, actually, that's it's not. <laughs> well. And the weapons are trading for like a ridiculously low amount of money compared to what taxpayers spent to create them. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Like they're selling for like $200 when it costs like, you know, thousands. Like it's wild. Oh, yeah. All the Mark 18s and stuff that they're running in the government, like with the, I mean, just the laser operating systems on them cost a civilian and they get them and then they, they turn them down so they're not as good. And the civilian version is like probably four grand for a good laser. Oh, wow. And so like a Mark 18 fully kitted out with night vision is probably costing us 60 grand. Wow. Yeah. And they're just getting like hawked by people who don't even quite know yeah. what they're dealing yeah. with. Anyway, it's crazy. So um, <laughs> uh, we have a lot of good links that will be in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of them I'm going to be quoting from John Sopko who is a veteran U.S. military watchdog. He has over 30 years of experience. Uh, He was interviewed by Newsweek, which is one of the articles that will be linked. And he had this to say about government oversight and our spending in Ukraine. So he said, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing to do. I'm not saying that the Ukrainian people are evil people, that they're going to steal things and all that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying anytime you throw that much money that fast into one country, you should have oversight baked in from the beginning. And I don't see that now. I see the regular oversight agencies stretched very thin. So he and other are, uh, have argued that 
a special inspector general is needed to ensure that the vast sums we're spending do not end up being funneled to illicit activities. Yeah. Part of the challenge is that we're sending a lot of, I mean, we're sending a lot of different things, but we are sending a ton of lighter weapons and those for obvious reasons are just a lot harder to track. Yep. And this concern is really, it's not unfounded. Uh, sort of the worst case scenario has already played out before. Obviously, the Taliban infamously acquired a ton of our military equipment when we withdrew this time last year. But this has also happened in Iraq and in Syria. Even weapons that we've shipped to Saudi Arabia have wound up in the hands of Al Qaeda. So, and, and, more recently, you know, weapons that have been sent to Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan have wound up in the hands of groups like ISIS. So this this isn't a conspiracy theory. This isn't a potentiality. This is something that like happens and we know it happens yeah. and it's a cost that we're willing to accept. And I don't know if we should be accepting it. So as I mentioned before, CBS is working on this documentary. They tweeted out that statistic about only 30 percent of U.S. military aid actually making it to the front lines. That 30% figure came from Lithuanian NGO, it's called Blue Yellow. He leads that organization, and his name is Jonas Ochman, O-E-H-M-A-N. The tweet was taken down, and the article was updated um, after it was learned that just earlier this month, like, and so this was a week ago, so I think like the week before this tweet came out, it wasn't even officially announced yet, that we finally did assign someone to monitor U.S. military <laughs> aid. Uh, it's his name is um, Garrick Harmon. He's a defense attaché and a brigadier, brigadier general, excuse me. And he is going to provide some oversight, but it's been like two weeks so i don't know right you're like oh I mean, okay it hasn't really i mean it's good it's good yeah. it's a good step but it's not sufficient and and i think the backlash against cbs was like totally unwarranted because nobody knew that this person had been assigned and up until then there was absolutely no oversight and lots of people were concerned about it but mm -hmm. you couldn't say that publicly because it undermined the war effort I hate that so much. Me too. So in response to the CBS story, Ukrainian <laughs> Foreign Minister Dmitro Kuleba tweeted, you have misled a huge audience by sharing unsubstantiated claims and damaging trust and supplies of vital military aid to a nation resisting aggression and genocide. There should be an internal investigation into who enabled this and why. No. <laughs> Jonas but watch, Oman, there, uh, watch there actually be an investigation. Yeah, into this poor, yeah, like, Lithuanian of, NGO leader yeah. who was, like, knows what's going on, has been yeah. on the ground, and probably yeah. gave a really fair assessment yeah. of yeah. the percentage that's actually making it to the front lines. Like, hey, I don't think that guy was lying because he secretly hates Ukraine, even though he's working with an NGO that's helping Ukraine. Right. Right? Like, it's more he was like, being honest. Hey, we don't want Nazis and terrorist organizations right. to get access to the greatest weapon systems known to man. Right. Exactly. Um, huh, okay. But that is, but that is the political argument that if you point out the corruption and if you mm -hmm. point out the holes in this plan of yep. ours, it undermines the war effort. I mean, that's, the American people turn against right. it, and all this, and then is we already, won't support them anymore. Yeah. And all of this is already coming into light with a lot of what Zelensky has said recently about like purposely misleading or putting out misleading information for the sake of the war effort. And yeah, I get it, but it's still like. 
okay, like, yeah, if we would have told the people that, like, because now it's coming out that, like, they were aware that Russia was going to invade, but they kept lying that they weren't, because if they did, then, like, you know, Ukraine would have failed because everyone would have left, like, evacuated. Like, that's literally going on right now, and you're like... So they just let their people get <laughs> So you're just like, slaughtered. you're like, oh, okay... It's like, well, we did in Afghanistan. Yeah. It's not going to fall, even though we know yeah, it's going to yeah, fall. Exactly. And so no one gets out. Yeah. That's yeah. one way to do politics. Yeah. So anyway, with this monitoring in place, hopefully less aid will be diverted to black markets. But to assume that the problem is solved by this one person <clears throat> being put in this position is totally naive. Ukraine is, as we've talked about in our past episodes, notoriously corrupt. Yep. No one would argue with that. Key oversight positions within its own government are empty. For example, two agencies. One is the Asset Recovery and Management Agency, and the other is the National Anti-Corruption Recover. Excuse me, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau. Both of those were like established to help deal with Ukraine's corruption, so that they could keep getting like foreign aid and investment and yada yada. Both of those don't have anyone leading them mm-hmm. right now, and its illicit uh, weapons trade is well known. It's always been a hotbed for that trade. Other experts are certainly concerned. Um, Stephen Myers is a former member of the State Department Advisory Committee on International Economic Policy and the National Security Membership Committee. And he said in one of the articles that we've linked, quote, there are no effective mechanisms in place in Ukraine for accountability of the aid being provided. The risk is very real. There is little to prevent a field commander from diverting some of the equipment to buyers, a.k.a. the Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, or whomever, while claiming the equipment and weapons were destroyed. Along similar lines, Mark Kansian, a senior advisor with the Center for Strategic and International Studies, International Security Program, and a former Marine Corps colonel, he shared the following concern. Quote, if examples of corruption came out, it would undermine this bipartisan consensus and that would be extremely damaging because ukrainians need what might be years of high levels of support from the united states and nato every commander in afghanistan bemoaned corruption at the end of the day the afghans kept saying well if you cut back on the aid we're going to collapse you got to keep the aid coming and ukraine might be inclined to do the same thing so Mm. it appears that we are We've set the stage for the U.S. to repeat the same mistakes that we made in Afghanistan and Syria and Iraq and countless other foreign interventions. Yes. So I have a little bit on what that sort of black market of weapons dealing looks like. Um, A lot of it is from post-2014. Some of the articles are from 2016, and we've talked about this before, but how like yeah. the reporting significantly changed as soon as the Obama administration was out and the Trump administration yes. was in. All of a sudden, there was like scrutiny over how, you know, our what our relationship with Ukraine right. was like. And did you know there's neo Nazis there? It's like <laughs> fuck. Yeah, like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. People knew had, that. Yeah. <laughs> people knew that two years ago when we like helped them have a coup. But anyway, um, so some of these articles are older, but I would imagine that 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 black market hasn't disappeared, right? Mm -hmm. At least after the 2014 Maidan uprising and coup, much of the smuggling was done by rebel fighters from Chechnya, and I probably can't pronounce this correctly, in Gusheshya, um, in Russia's northern Caucasus region, um, and they would ship the weapons back home. 
according to a Reuters story from 2016, which will be linked in the show notes, in May of that year, Ukrainian border guards detained a 25-year-old Frenchman with ties to far-right groups in France who was trying to cross from Ukraine into Poland with weapons, including rocket launchers, class. Kalashnikov assault rifles in his rental van. Good lord. Um, re- Ukraine's SBU said the man had made contact with armed militias in Ukraine and inquired about buying arms from them. When they found out about this, the SBU said its agents sold the man deactivated weapons. Yep. Isn't that a weird? That's, I wanted to share that because that's a weird response in my mind. Really... They didn't arrest him, they just sold him deactivated weapons. Yeah. I have a feeling they sold him real weapons yeah, at a oh, high yeah. price and oh, made yeah. some money off of it. Oh, yeah. Like, what? Meanwhile, in the United <laughs> States, ATF crazy. is arresting people for 3D printing guns. Right. Legally. <laughs> legally. Right. Well, previously well, legally until the ATF, like, pulled out of their ass the idea that you shouldn't be able to do that. Ghost guns. With no, you know, proper channel of... No, nobody votes on that. Right? It's just like they just make up. They're like, you know what? Decide. We're yeah. gonna decide the ATF. We're gonna decide that this is illegal, <clears throat> right? Somehow, hope or, you're compliant. Or, or <laughs> hey, this thing is actually considered a firearm, right? A chunk of metal that can't do anything is considered a firearm. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. It's great, but you know, I guess go to Ukraine. Yeah, go to Ukraine. To. Yeah. So again, after 2014, God, I want 2014 black market prices on weapons. <laughs> That's yeah. all I want. That's all I want. Um, so it was understood that most of the weapons trafficked out of Ukraine would be transported through the Ukrainian Black Sea port of Odessa, then into the Mediterranean, some south through the Balkans and some through Russia's, excuse me, North Caucasus region. I would guess that the current fighting in Odessa has maybe like made that more difficult. Mm. On the flip side, though, maybe more, the chaos yeah. makes it easier. Yeah. I don't know if that's still a channel, but those like in the last decade or so have, have been kind of the channels for this stuff to get smuggled out. Here's another quote from the 2016 story. The quote is from Mark Galliotti. He's a senior research fellow at the Institute of International Relations in Prague. And he says, quote, Usually it is relatively easy to get a pistol or anything up to an assault rifle, but it is much harder to get an RPG or a machine gun or the boring things like spare parts for the above. Not boring. You actually <laughs> you actually need to have a proper war for these things for these sorts of things to become available. And lo and behold, you have a proper war. At the moment you have, from the criminal's point of view, a wonderful opportunity. As soon as there's a war. Mm-hmm. So that made me think like, all right, well, we got a war now. So according to this expert, that makes it easier for well, weapons to be Well, the thing is, is, there's already a lot of weapons in the black market, but they're not just moving old inventory. Somebody's getting their hands on new inventory. Yeah. Because like there is a huge black market for out, I say outdated weapons, but like, you know, the fun ones, the automatic ones and the desirable ones. Yeah. But now you have top of the line modern equipment, right? Being funneled directly being there. Funneled directly, yeah. yeah. And that's his point. He's to like, a, to, yeah. as you mentioned, to like the most corrupt government, right? Or one of the well, what did I say? It's like number five. Yeah, it's not most ranked corrupt. highly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's you know, I don't have much confidence that that the sentiment shared by this expert doesn't hold true today. Yeah, we're in a war. That means. 
better grade weapons are being shipped to this region, that's a huge opportunity for the criminals that engage in that illicit trade. Mm-hmm. I wonder how it in, how these the criminals, both Ukrainian and Russian, like how how do they interact? Are they still just like doing business mm. throughout this? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised. Right, if that was the case. Like I said, I, it just seems like we're really just doing the same fucking thing that we always do. Yeah. And expecting a different result, which is the definition of insanity. It is. It is 100%. Our foreign policy is insane. Yes, I agree. I agree with that fully. So, you know, I don't know. And what do you do? Not arm them and let Russia win? I Maybe that's not the answer, but these are just like the hard, ugly realities that are well, part of it. Well, you know, this is probably, I mean, this isn't necessarily on topic, but this is, well, it is in topic because this is going to lead into my story quite a bit, but. You say, like, you know, just not arm them and let Russia do what they want, but Europe is in a bad spot. Yeah. And they're already giving up to Russia many things in an attempt to get ready for winter. Yeah. And the cynic in me has a feeling that a lot of bad actors are going to kind of do what they will with Ukraine for a while and then a lot of people are going to just kind of abandon Ukraine. Oh, for sure. And 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 here's another thing yeah. to think about that fits into what we were just discussing. As Europe because of their energy crisis because of their over-reliance on Russia and unreliable green energy are in a pickle now. Mm-hmm. They and to your point as winter approaches they're all going to get cold literally, mm-hmm. right? And energy prices have skyrocketed there way more than anything we're experiencing here. The pressure is going to be on to force Ukraine to compromise with Russia and have a ceasefire Yep. so that they can lift sanctions on Russia, get the gas flowing again, They're keep not gonna- the peace politically within their own countries. <laughs> yep. So that pressure is going to be huge. How do you think Russia, or excuse me, Ukraine is going to respond to that? Ukraine is going to ramp up their rhetoric to put the pressure on NATO and the U.S. to not compromise Yep, and to keep the munitions flowing. So, like, you know, it's there could be some crazy shit coming out of Ukraine as winter approaches. I believe it. In and, desperation we, and we've already seen going. Zelensky say some weird things and being like, we're not going to make any sort of agreements. like. No, and like, and like go down with your ship kind of stuff. Right. Well, and also we've talked about this before. There are rumors and I think that there is a good chance that they're true that like we know that these right. nationalist militias are f- helping fight this war with Russia and we know that they because of that they have political power yeah. and they're likely putting pressure on Zelensky to not compromise or given because when he was elected he was that was like part of his platform was to not go to war with russia Mm -hmm. and to like find Mm -hmm. a peaceful path with russia and granted they've been attacked and so maybe he's just changed his tune but there's also a chance that there's like a ton of political pressure on him to not give in right and we have state department officials like senior officials in the military in the u.s who have said on record in interviews said we know that like 
Ukraine is fighting an information war and everything they're saying publicly and even what they're reporting to us is probably not accurate. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they've said that. That's not a conspiracy. That's like the New York Times has quoted senior, you know, Department of Defense officials saying that. So. I would expect that rhetoric to ramp up as winter approaches because there's going to be two conflicting forces pushing each other. And that is like a fucking powder keg. Oh, yeah. So we'll see. We would have power to step in and manipulate and control the situation, but I don't think doddering old Biden can handle it. No. So anyway. But some non-beholden agency will. (laughs) Yeah, probably. God. So that's that. Yep. Okay. Well, so with all of this energy crisis in Europe, we've talked about, you know, food shortages in Ukraine and the Middle East. This ties perfectly into my story of record heat waves all across China and mass droughts and everything going on over yonder, not so far away. The current conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So, right now, over the last few weeks, China has been having record heat waves all across the country. Many cities and provinces are seeing temperatures upwards of 113 degrees. Whoa. Which is like just unheard of. Horrible droughts. So, rivers are dwindling, shrinking. So, the first story I have is the uh, Yangtze is currently flowing at half of its normal rate mm. in the Sichuan province, as well as the neighboring metropolis of Chongqing. That's in the southwest. And the problem is, like, 80 to 90% of all their power is from hydropower. Mm. So they're seeing mass shortages in energy. And because of these massive metropolises, so densely populated... The heat index factor is being multiplied, as cities do. Concrete, metal, all of these things are multiplying. Mm. So super hot temperatures. You don't have energy. These people are running AC right? just to stay alive, essentially. Yeah. And what people don't realize is an AC unit is essentially a heater. So you're... In that it just... It produces a ton of heat. Right, yeah. So you're, you're cooling your microclimate. Inside your unit, but you're outputting, and it's 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 all heat transfer thermodynamics, right? Right. The heat has to go somewhere. If you're cooling it, the energy is going somewhere. Yeah. It's being pumped outside. So now these cities are just absolutely roasting because you have millions (laughs) and millions and millions of people running. And are they in like tall apartment buildings? Yes, exactly. So massive um, Mm. systems. They don't have power, so you have power limitation you have a lot of districts getting like three hours of usage a day oh boy they're setting restrictions on ac temperatures like i believe one i saw was like nothing below 87 degrees (laughs) yikes really really that'd be really hard if you're like on a high floor yes and what's crazy is that this is a huge market the sejuan province is a huge well all along the the yangtze river is a huge producer of goods right china is making all of our tech. Over the last few weeks, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound crazy, thousands of factories are having to shut down. 
Oh, that's been happening yeah. all across China, all just across because China. of energy shortages. Right, but yeah. this heat wave specifically. Okay. And along the river is where a ton of microchips are processed, mm. solar panels are processed, components for automotive companies are processed. Thousands of these factories are having to shut down for like upwards of three weeks. Yeah. And a lot of these companies are reporting that like hundreds of thousands of chips are not being made. Mm. Everything we have today right. runs on a chip. All of the green initiative requires things like solar panels. And one of the major producers is shut down. Right. And then in that same province, just one of many that have shut down currently have, because of these restrictive regulations, because of, of power shortages, can't process 12,000 tons of lithium. Which I was like, that doesn't seem like that much. But I did a little calculating and, and did a little reading on like how much lithium is actually used. It's like equivalent of, and this is just so far, right? right. That 12,000 tons is enough to create something like 60,000 electric vehicles or something like 120,000 batteries for solar houses. Wow. Yeah. That's significant. Which is significant. And when you yeah. think about a compounding issue. Right. It's not just like, okay, in a month when temperatures naturally drop and they can reopen factories, everything's dandy. Now you have a backlog of right. hundreds of thousands of units of these things or yeah, millions cases, of microchips. Exactly. Yeah. Which is oh, wild. I've, I've heard that, that just in general, yeah. most of the manufacturing regions of china have kind of adopted this like augmented work week where they shut down for hours at a time at a day during a day and aren't open like five days a week because they can't they don't have energy like yeah. that's just getting built into their yeah. new like normal it's like 48 hours of hell yeah yeah oh, lord so yeah it's not good right there so reports uh, are saying something like 250 cities across the country are going to see temperatures upwards of like 113 degrees. Wow. When, so this heat wave is happening now and it's expected Currently, to for the, extend? The, uh, what I saw is at least the next six days. Boy. Okay. And it's been going on for like a week. Okay. We're yeah. talking like two weeks of intense heat. Yeah. And with the rivers drying up and a lot of the infrastructure not operating mass extinction of livestock crops are dying like i've read an article about sweet potato farmers like usually this time of year is like when there's enough water and like the crops are growing like huge shortage of food like crops are dying even in the yeah. last week like mass amounts of food china has a big food problem they actually. really do and yeah. they have separately from just like this yeah. current drought yep and then it's reporting that another 400 cities could see temperatures upwards of 100 degrees. And then weather forecasters expect the heat wave can continue for at least another week with little to no rain um, continued. As of Wednesday, about 830,000 people across six provinces have had their water supplies affected by drought conditions, according to the Ministry of Water. I guarantee that number's low. <laughs> uh and more than 300,000 people are experiencing temporary difficulty even accessing any drinking water. Oh, my God. Wow. Imagine being somewhere 
Yeah. No. Over no 100 idea. degree temperatures. Yeah. With no access to any drinking water. Yeah. So horrible, horrible situation. And to your point, that's probably under counted. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, yeah, it's amazing when right. any news like this actually gets out. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm sure we're going to see a lot of injuries, deaths probably. Yeah. Um, we've shared recently on Whiskey Bench, on top of all this, China has and is having horrible infrastructure problems. Yeah. Well, and their entire housing market has imploded, yeah. which most they don't have other really vehicles or ways for people to invest their money. So anybody who has money is invested in real estate. And so everyone has seen their assets just totally depleted. Yeah. And and <laughs> and China's central bank has cut interest rates mm-hmm. again. <laughs> so they're doing the opposite of what. The rest of the world is doing um, because they think that they can just mm-hmm. spend their way out of this problem. And I don't think they can. No. And it's interesting to think about the political implications because that's a lot of internal pressure. Plus the whole zero COVID thing, which I don't know if we've talked about it here, but <laughs> no, like, we have not. I don't think that is about COVID. And a lot of our commentators here in the U.S. say like, well, you know, they just he's just so stubborn and. He can't admit that he's wrong. Xi Jinping, their leader, right? He's just, he can't admit that it's a bad policy. So they're just going to keep doing mm-hmm. it. I don't think that's accurate either. I think he knows full well that it's killing people, that it's terrifying people, and that's driving Westerners away. And I think that that is strategic on his part. And I oh, think yeah. he, in his quest to consolidate power and seek what would be an unprecedented third term sometime this fall. It's either in October or November when they have their annual Communist Party Congress thing and they pick the new leader. He, I think he's doing that intentionally, and I think he wants to push out Westerners and Western influence. I don't think he gives a fuck about economic growth. I don't think he, I don't think he cares about that at all. Everyone no. in the West is like, why would he be doing these things and going after these industries and regulating things to death and shutting down businesses? And because he's not concerned about economic growth. No, he's concerned about political power and consolidating it. And frankly, the more I've thought about this, like they are absolutely ramping up for war. They are. Oh and, yeah. And, and the more political pressure about builds, they're at a point where they have to, Right. Like China as a whole is going to collapse. Exactly. And it's like going to be in like 50 years. And when they're backed into that corner mm-hmm. politically. Yeah. What is what does the Communist Party do to save face? Do they admit that they fucked up and bring new people in and reform? Mm-hmm. Or do they double down, blame a foreign enemy and start a war to distract everybody? I think they do the, the latter. Oh, yeah. 100%. Right. And then I was thinking about this re- this the other day about sort of in the context of Russia and Ukraine. And if, I mean, obviously Russia wants Ukrainian territory for strategic reasons, for the warm water port, for the natural resources, et cetera, et cetera, all the things we've already talked about. But why now? Well, one, America's sort of at a low point and I think it was easier for them to do it now. But Mm -hmm. also, I wonder if Putin wants to get himself strategically positioned because he knows Xi Jinping's going to be starting a war with the West, they've 
created a pact, Russia and China have, mm-hmm. that they describe it as having no limitations. So if China starts a war, Russia is going to be allied with China and they're going to be fighting in that war. Yeah. So like, was did Putin do what he did when he did it because he's trying to set the stage and prepare himself because he knows that in a year or a couple years, there's going to be a big war? I mean, they're trying to, Russia and China are trying to like establish a separate reserve currency. Yeah. And like, there are other parts of the world that are going to buy into that, you yeah, know? Like, exactly. They're setting the stage for a shift. Yeah. And they talk about it openly, and we just ignore it here. I think we have this hubris that we totally ignore it. And we also, just like we did in Afghanistan, view everything through our own American Western perspective, and we miss a lot when we do that. Right. And so it's, you know, like we have said before, it's like the West perspective is just like West is good. East is bad. And and we think they have the same values that we have yeah. and they don't. But the thing is, is like they don't have the same values of us, but we rely on them so heavily. So we critique them and say like, oh, they're backwards, you know, whatever with China, all this. But like China is like the backbone of the world. As far as tech is concerned, like as well, far as what they produce. I mean, if they weren't stealing the technology from places that were innovating, they wouldn't. Be. No, but I just mean like we produce like the innovators here are outsourcing and having all of their microchips built in China. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Yeah. They have a huge cheap labor market. Yeah. That they've exploited successfully. Mm-hmm. Yes. And given the right circumstances and something like a war, they can turn that switch off. And the West no longer has access to basically anything that runs Yes. The world. Yeah, they have a ton of leverage over us yes. for that reason. That's why they want Taiwan, because Taiwan mm-hmm. is one of the main, you know, chip manufacturers. And if Taiwan goes, then we're, the West is really fucked. Yep. We'll probably fight over that one. Not Ukraine, but we probably will over Taiwan. But yep. But on the flip side, if China cuts the world off from itself... No, then no one's buying any of its products. Its entire industry dries up. And they import a majority of their food. That's like why they're so vulnerable in that way. Right. So like if they cut the, if they isolate, which, but Xi Jinping is like, he is a self-declared Maoist. So he might want to isolate and it'll be disastrous for Mm -hmm. the Chinese people, but he might do that. And it will have, to your point, consequences around the world. Right. We'll feel it here in it'll, the US. It'll, I mean, at that point, though, that's, that's where you get to essentially a war of attrition, right? Yeah. He'll let everyone starve in his country. but And are we willing to do that? Yeah. Yeah. But right. like a lot of us, but like the thing is, is we can't go long without yeah. all of, like, I don't know if people realize what a big deal it is for like all of the chips being made. Yeah, no, totally. Like yeah. everything that we have, every piece of medical equipment, like farm equipment, like everything relies on chips. Phones, computers, Phones. everybody's job that's based on their computer. Repairing like, things. Yeah, cars. And like obviously there yeah. are manufacturers that are doing small scale stuff. Like chips are being produced elsewhere. But like at the scale at which we need them, we're already having shortages. We've been having shortages for yeah. years now. And if they turn that switch off, it's like you're, it, we're, we're both screwed, right? Right. Which, you know, so Congress passed this, I forget what it's called, but something, something Chips Act. And it's like, whatever it is, 300 billion, whatever, hundreds of billions of dollars to that industry. Corporate welfare. 
And so to your point, some people might think like, well, good, Congress is doing something about it. They just gave out a bunch of taxpayer dollars to these businesses and they'll solve it. The problem with that is that money moves slowly. It's going to corporations that are, we're picking, the government is picking which corporations get it. So it's picking winners and losers. We've seen that fail a million times. It's like deregulate and make it worth producing them here. Exactly. Because- because now these companies are going to be investing in a technology that, especially in that industry, and I'm not an expert on mm-hmm. it, but I've read enough about this recently that like the pace of innovation in that particular industry is very fast. So you government dollars being spent and slowly distributed and making their way and like creating perverse incentives within this industry, it, they're going to be investing in, in technology that's outdated. You know, by the time it's like actually appropriate, like it's not it is not an efficient way to spur growth in that industry. And I don't and maybe it shouldn't be manufactured here. Maybe it's not a cost effective, but we should diversify where we're investing abroad, Mm -hmm. putting all of our eggs in one basket, like a rotten, aggressive authoritarian basket was a really bad idea. And we have to like wake up to that fact. Right. So wild stuff. And we have to defend Taiwan. I mean, we we are going to have to do that. Yeah. It's a huge asset. Right. And frankly, it does have nothing to do with like democracy. I mean, that's what, how it'll be pitched. Yeah, but that's, that'll be the It selling, is about, yeah. it really will be about chips and technology yeah, and like oh, our ability 100%. to survive. Right. Yeah. So. Which, which is wild. But yeah, all these things are all interconnected. And so, you know, yeah. the drought in China is going to affect food prices. It's just, it's going to. Yeah. And right now, all across the world, all of the net importers like China and, and all of these you know, some smaller countries, stuff like that. They have record storages of food right now, mm. like all across the globe, because I think countries that are net importers are a little bit more aware of how delicate everything is. And so I think they saw the writing on the walls and they're kind of prepping for the inevitable because we've seen droughts over the last few years and everything like that. And so, yeah. On top of that, like fertilizing fertilizers are up 50 to 100% in expenses. You know, pesticides, herbicides are going up in price. There's shortages on that. Right. That's um, a consequence of yeah. the Ukraine conflict. On top of that, like fertilizer use is causing environmental issues in countries that don't really care about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, then the pushback yeah. on that is like a case uh Sri Lanka is a case study of like mm-hmm. when you just like stop using fertilizer and you stop using pesticides your crop yields decimate and yep. people are starving so right and so and this is the this is the other point we're in a country and this is around the world where like we're so heavily re- reliant upon fertilizer and things like that that we only have about like you know 70 growth cycles left in most of our soil right that is a problem that's a real problem and so you know, the hope is <laughs> fuck right. It, it, no, it, it is. It's bad. Yeah, honestly, it is, it is no, bad. It is. It really but is. the hope is, especially in the United States, we are incredible, especially as far as innovation goes. And there are people that have the initiatives that are trying to like restore soil and yeah, there's a lot use of use regenerative working. farming and things like that, which just yeah. needs to happen. And it's just the fact is we've had it so good, yeah, and we've been so lazy that. You know, since basically like the, what would that, what would that be considered? Like the green revolution? 
like we've just decimated our land and farming and mm. like you know kind of ruined everything and it takes time to fix and it's yeah. gonna take time to fix but well, like, yeah. yeah we had the dust bowl and we yeah adjusted yeah, yeah exactly so so there's gonna be increases <laughs> in food prices there's probably gonna be shortages on electronics there's probably gonna be beyond what we're already experiencing yeah beyond what we're already experiencing <laughs> yeah. you know certain funk yeah. like vehicles like we're already seeing vehicles not having like heated seats like oh yeah but i mean uh, right right a, <laughs> a sign of the affluence right but like yeah yeah there are going to be a lot of things that probably aren't going to be around like it's going to come to a point where it's like oh yeah we just can't have heated seats anymore in our cars in america boo-hoo hated heated seats wants to be hot uh, yeah uh, the ac seats is like where it's at that i could get mind behind. blowing <laughs> mind <laughs> could like blowing mind blowing Oh God! We're, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, be aware of that. It's all going to trickle through. And with the energy crisis in Europe, like, and the push, like I said, for the green initiative, like, there's not going to be enough solar panels. Like, regulation on things like fossil. Good thing we just spent yeah, three hundred yeah, yeah, billion on. Yeah, you know things subsidizing. like trying to put restrictions on fossil fuels and then the nutter butters that are like, we need to stop using fossil fuels. Yeah, the thing is. You need energy to do all this stuff. Farming, yes. all of this stuff. Yeah. And if you are limiting the forms of energy that you have access to, people are going to starve. Oh, quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, the best thing that we could do for the environment is help poor developing nations get rich because rich countries take better care of their environment because environmental quality, frankly, is a luxury good. Yeah. And if you have the means to take care of it, you do. And when you're desperately poor, you focus on other things like surviving. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So abundant, efficient, low cost energy is the best thing we can do to lift people out of poverty. And frankly, it is the best thing we can do for the environment to improve environmental degradation in poor developing countries. Yes. And solar and wind ain't going to cut it. So fossil fuels really are our best option. And when you take people from burning biomass in their like stoves that causes air pollution that, you know, kills their children early because they have lung issues. Mm -hmm. If they upgrade to coal, that's a big deal. That's helpful. Right. And then when you can transition from coal to natural gas, that's a bigger win for the environment that cuts emissions. Right. Like there's just a progression and environmentalists today think that we can like leapfrog that and we can't we don't have the technology to leapfrog no. that progression so doing away with fossil fuels is a death sentence and yeah. it's really anti-human and it's it anti-poor it's anti-poor it's anti-human and like you know i think one of the most evil things on earth are the people that are like anti-human the whole like the the earth would be better without people yeah Screw Extinction you. rebellion. Screw you guys. Yeah, totally. Evil. A lot of people think that. Yeah. That's the same people. It's the same mentality of the people who, in, you know, insist that we need to stop having, stop reproducing. Right. Which like that whole Malthusian argument has been disproven already. Yeah. You know, like actually the more people have, the more innovation you get and like the more efficient people become at using resources. So oh, yeah. more people is actually better. Wild stuff. It persists. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit of a downer. <laughs> but imagine if you know we deregulated some stuff and incentivized moving some some manufacturing to the states and or just other you know, places. Apparently, there's an eighty thousand people that are in need of jobs. 
that the IRS are going to be hiring. Oh, right. So imagine if... Put them to work making chips. Yeah, imagine if 87,000 <laughs> people were productively... Oh, my God. ...making chips instead of... If the government had... ...using th- force to steal from its citizens. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to see what it would look like if the government was training people to become a chip manufacturer. It'd be, it would be great. Your phone would be exploding in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would take like a decade probably to get a shop online or something. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Oh. News and brews, News baby. and brews, baby. <laughs> We're in it. We're back. We're back. Leave a comment. Yes. Leave us five stars and then say whatever you want. Yep. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I, I think that's it. That's it. I, I want to keep talking, but it's not related and we're not going to. There's well, well, it'll just be. I just, I feel ranty. I just want to like. Thoughts. I just want to like rant about stuff. But I know I, I had ancillary rants. Yeah, I ready know. too. <laughs> right. <laughs> no time, but we'll we'll get to it. Yeah. Maybe this again. We're always scheming stuff, but that would be some good bonus content. Totally. Like. Wow. The bench, the bench bitches. Yeah. That I, yeah. Bitches from the bench. Yeah. Yes. No or bitching. Bit. Bitching from the bench. Bitching from the bench. Yeah. yeah. Bitches from the bench. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we're calling ourselves bitches. No, 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 no. Like Bitch Jenny it. from the block. Yeah. <laughs> it could be like a hip hop group. Bitches from the bench. Bitching from the bench. Rants. Ban- ban- I don't know. <laughs> Rants from the bench. Yes. Hmm. So anyway, yeah. We'll work on that one. Hang out with us. As always, <laughs> thanks for listening. Another episode of News and Brews. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.